Give it up for the Lord this morning, guys. Come on. Is he good or what? You can be seated. So good to see you this morning. We've got a lot of moving parts going on in the service today, and I appreciate so much uh, your being here and all the people that are working behind the scenes to make this happen as we come together on this day. We're wrapping up the Building for the Generations series that we've been in for the last several weeks that we're calling Building for the Generations because we're focusing on, on the generations of all the generations. The truth is, guys, we serve a multi-generational God. Can I get an amen? Every time God was introduced in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, he was always referred to in multiple generation kind of terms. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God, you know, he just, every time you see it, you open the New Testament with the genealogies. He's the God of the generations. That's who God is. And it becomes incredibly important for us until he comes that we keep our focus on every generation. I don't know if you guys do social media or not, but I posted something on my Instagram this week. I think it went to Facebook as well. You may have seen it. But there was one point in the powerful uh, night of worship that we had when we had a lady here in the altar worshiping. I, I guess she was around 80. Forgive me, uh, sister, if you're not quite that old. But, but she's down here. We've got 18-year-olds up here leading and 18 and 80-year-olds and everybody in between worshiping the Lord together. That's the church. Can I get an amen? That's the church. So today's Commitment Sunday, and we're bringing our commitments before the Lord. So if you're new today, this is a little bit out of the ordinary. Even the message is a little bit out of the ordinary, but I hope you'll lean in and watch as a family of people, in the name of Jesus Christ, unite their hearts for a cause for the generations to come. For you that are new or perhaps been away for, for a season, we've invested the last few weeks in a number of kind of ways in order to come to unity. You perhaps have heard me say during this series that, that God blesses unity, where two or three agree as, as touching anything, I'm there in the midst. When they came together in one accord in Acts chapter two, that's when the Holy Spirit showed up and rocked the town and changed the world. When God's people come together in unity, in agreement, that's when God does amazing things. So we've been doing a lot of things over the last five or six weeks to help us come to an understanding of the vision that we believe God's given us, and, uh, uh, and then also to come into unity of that. To do that, we had a couple of vision gatherings here. Hundreds of our people came to the vision gatherings. We broke it down in detail. If you didn't make it to one of those, there are packets at the guest services desk. Pick up that packet. There's a, a video in there, where a link where you can go online and you can actually watch the video of that night. It's not too late for you to get in, be a part of all of this. But the whole goal was to cast the vision for what we believe God's called us to do in the days ahead and to come into unity around it. This past Friday night, we had a powerful, did I say powerful, night of worship in this house. This place was filled with praise. What many of you perhaps don't know is that every song we did Friday night was an original song, a bridge music song, and it's being recorded, and, and we're putting out our first live worship album sometime in 2022, and I'm already getting requests from around the world for when can we buy this album. We're going to bless the body of Christ, not just the bridge family. Amen. God's doing cool things. The last 21 days, we've been uh, setting aside time to fast and pray. And, uh, and so now we're coming together in agreement and unity uh, to follow the kids, bring our gifts, bring our hearts, bring our unity together. I've said it before. Again, I'm repeating myself somewhat because I want to make sure you get the, the essence of what I've been trying to say to you. Uh, yeah, a, a, a day like this does produce 
uh, funds to do things that are necessary. Uh, visions are one thing, funding the vision's a whole other thing, and so we gotta hear from God. But at the end of the day, uh, building for the generations is not a fundraising campaign. It's not what it is. It's a faith building campaign. It's a unity generating campaign. At the end of the day, it's our coming together as one to make a difference for the days ahead. So let's get into it, okay? On Sunday mornings, what we've been doing is reviewing the core values of our church. And if you missed any of those messages, please go to the website, get those so you'll understand who we are as a church, what's important to us, because ultimately the values are what define who you are, what you do or don't do. They become the framework or the foundation for all that we do. So before we bring our offering and our worship to the altar this morning, let's rehearse one more time those core values. They're gonna be on the screens. I want you to read it with me, okay? One, two, three, go. Live biblically. Two, love unconditionally. Next, relate sincerely. Next, serve unselfishly. Next, grow intentionally. Last week we talked about worship passionately, and we brought that here Friday night in our night of worship. And then finally, our final core value, these are not in any particular order, they're all just as important as the other, but the final core value comes from Jesus' final marching orders just before he went back to the Father to prepare heaven for us, and it is reach globally. Say it with me, reach globally. That comes from Jesus' final command to us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. So let's read it together, okay? Ready? One, two, three, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. That word nations in the Greek is ethnos. Anybody know what English word we get from ethnos? Ethnicity. So every ethnic group on the planet is, is who we're trying to reach in Jesus' name, okay? So therefore, go make disciples of every ethnic group, baptizing them in the name of the Father, come on, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We unpacked that command and this value of, of reach globally in this way. Let's read this together, okay? We believe the Holy Spirit has come to empower us to share our faith, both locally and around the world. We do that through giving, participating in local service projects, and traveling on mission trips. And so uh, I've said before, I'll say again, I think one of the best kept secrets around the bridge is how involved we are around the world. We don't do a really good job of communicating that, but you guys give generously every year to missions. We're involved to the tune of well over $100,000 in missions in Africa and Latin America and Asia and, and just all over, literally all over the world as well as other parts of the United States. We have short-term trips that go both abroad and to other parts of the country. And as the year progresses, you're gonna hear more and more about that. If you haven't noticed it out there in the lobby, we got the For God So Love the World uh, wall that we built just before COVID came. And now that we're beginning to breathe again, uh, you'll begin to see uh, prayer cards for all the missionaries that we support. You begin to see information about short-term trips uh, as they pop up on that wall. Here's where I want to land today, though. I don't want to talk a lot about what we do or that kind of stuff. I really want to talk about why we do it. I want to make sure that we understand why we reach globally, and it's not just because God said it. That's enough. Can I get an amen? That's enough. He said it. That's enough. 
but there's also a, a motivation, a spiritual, emotional motivation, a personal motivation from it. Because here's what Jesus went on to say in Matthew 29 or 28. He said, and I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Which raises the question, what's that going to look like? What, can, can you get a picture of what the end of the, I mean, we know what, what happened this morning when you got up and you got a shower and you checked the weather and decided to wear a coat and got in your car and it was chilly and it's, fall weather's finally here. And you know, all, you know, we know what normal life looks like, but what does the end of the age look like and how is that a motivation for us to reach globally? That's what I want to spend a few minutes with you together before we come back to worship and song and we worship the Lord together. To answer that question, I want you to go in your Bible to Revelation chapter four. If you brought a Bible, you can do that. You can go to the Bridge NC app. All of the scriptures are gonna be there uh, under notes in the Bridge NC app. It'll be on the screens as well. But all I wanna do this morning, not a formal sermon as much as, as often perhaps a teaching, I just wanna paint a picture. I want you to get a picture of what that end of the age is gonna look like, what that moment's gonna look like. And it's unpacked for us in Revelation chapter four and five. So I want you to turn the camera on in your mind as we read through these verses. I'll give you a little bit of description, just enough for us to kind of picture it in our heads. Uh, and then uh, we'll come together and we'll worship together. And let me say before we even get started, I am not an expert in the book of Revelation. Okay. And in fact, if you find somebody that says they know all the answers and what all the symbols mean, run away, okay? Because <laughs> there's such stuff in there that we go, okay, that's gonna be fulfilled in the fullness of time. If you really wanna know what the book of Revelation says, go see Mitchell Grantham though. I told you I was gonna say that, Mitchell, because Mitchell is, is our resident expert in that area. But, but I, I do believe I know enough to paint a picture for you and that's what I wanna do. So here we go, Revelation chapter four, verse five. Back up a little bit. Verses one, two, and three, the book of Revelation, we do know that it was written by the apostle John when he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. We believe he was probably in his late 80s, maybe 90 years old at that point. And these first three chapters uh, are specifically to the church that is still on earth. All right, and, and those three chapters are filled with warnings and instructions for the seven churches at Asia, but I believe also instructions to modern churches that are struggling in all those kinds of areas. So if you wanna know some of the basic struggles of the church and what Jesus says about it, then go to chapters one, two, three, and you'll get an answer from some of that. But then we get to chapter four and something powerful happens. Okay, here's where we're gonna lean in. You ready? Everybody ready? Do your hands like this if you're ready, okay? I can belabor this point if you want me to, but you ready? Okay, you're ready. Okay, here we go. Revelation chapter four, verse one. After this, stop a minute. Uh, what is this? After he told the churches what they needed to know. That's what he's talking about. After all that was done, then he said, I looked. John said, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first, first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after 
this, after the church is no longer on earth, I believe, experts may tell you differently, but I believe that's when the rapture takes place and the church is taken into eternity. And so this is what's happened now. John is getting a vision of that day when the church is being taken and we're there in eternity with him. So turn your cameras on, here we go. We're gonna paint a picture of what John saw that day. I, I, I need to give you one more disclaimer there though, that John is trying to describe the indescribable. I mean, he's, he's using the best earthly language he can find through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, words that we might understand in order to explain something in eternity that he's trying to wrap his own brain around. And so it is more grand than any grand language you can think of. He's doing the best that he can. He's coming up with the most vivid images you can think of on earth in order to get it. But clearly, the picture is more grand than he can find words for. So here we go, verse two. Before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. Kind of picture it, got a throne, someone's there, don't know exactly who, but it's this beautiful Jasper Ruby is the best he can come up with. Some translations say carnelian, I don't know, but it's precious jewels. Here we go, verse three. A rainbow resembling an, em, an emerald encircled the throne. Have you ever seen a rainbow? How many have ever seen a rainbow? Here's the better question. Have you ever seen a rainbow that you didn't say, wow, there's a rainbow, right? There's just something about rainbows that makes you go, wow, look at that, wow, look at that. And if you see a double rainbow, it's like, whoa, or a triple, it's like, wow. Kim and I went to Ireland a few years ago to visit the, the home of our ancestry and we saw a rainbow and you could see the end of the rainbow on the beach here and the end of the rainbow on the beach there. You tried to get the pot of gold at the end of it and the end moved. <laughs> you never could get that pot of gold. But it's just, it's one of the most amazing things you can think of. And here he's describing a rainbow where the green, are like real emeralds. The colors are so vivid of this rainbow. So I want you to get it, okay? Verse four. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. There's lots of speculation about who the 24 are. Some people say it's, it's the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel and, and the 12 disciples. I, I don't know, but I do know from the text that they were elders, which suggests that they were spiritual leaders. Uh, they were in white, what often in scripture represents holiness. So they're holy leaders and gold often represents royalty. And so these are set apart leaders of some sort. And, and where are they? You didn't think I was gonna do all the talking, did you? Where are they? They're surrounding the throne. So we, the centerpiece is still the throne and this someone that's sitting on the throne, a beautiful, amazing rainbow circling it and 24 holy, righteous leaders surrounding him. Verse five. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now it gets a little weird, but think about it for a minute. Have you ever had lightning strike and thunder clap at the same instant? What did you do? What'd you do? 
You jumped out of your skin. That's what you did. Why? Because there's very few things more powerful than, than lightning striking and the thunder. Because that means it's right there upon you. And it's a terrifying, powerful, perhaps the most powerful thing. So what John is talking about, this amazing power, he's using earthly language to communicate this amazing power. And then he's talking about the seven lamps and seven spirits of God. Again, I don't know exactly what those symbols mean. You can ask others for the detail of it, but here's what I do know. Light often represents knowledge in Scripture, and spirits represent the presence of God, and seven is the number of perfection. So here's what I get, is that in this moment, John is in the full, unvarnished knowledge and presence of God. Are you picturing this? 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see through through a glass darkly. Now we just see in part, but then we'll know fully even as I am fully known. This is then. This is the moment when all of that don't get it, don't understand is gone. I call it the divine aha. Boom, I get it now. This is the fullness of the knowledge and the presence of God. We get glimpses of him every now and then in a worship service or when we're reading the scriptures and it jumps off the page or we see you know, a landscape and think about the beauty of our God. We get glimpses of him, but in this moment we have the fullness of him, his power, his presence, his knowledge is fully known. Verse six. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Again, I don't know the full depth of meaning of that, but if you think about it for a minute, he's standing here, the throne is there, all this magnificent stuff is happening, and then there is a sea between him and there that is absolutely clear as crystal. Have you ever been, you've been in a restaurant where the far wall was all mirrors? You ever done that? And when you first sat down, you thought, man, this is a really huge restaurant. And then you realize it ain't all that big. That's just a reflection. So I think what he's talking about is the immensity of all of this. I think he's talking about this amazing immensity that is bigger than he can describe in any other way. Verse 6b and 7. Then he says around in the center, around the throne were four living creatures. And he starts describing the creatures in verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Again, probably more depth of symbolic meaning in all of that than I'm capable of handling. But here's what I do know. The lion is, is often representative, uh, representative of, as the crowning achievement of the wild animal kingdom. The ox was considered in those days to be the most powerful and useful of the domesticated animal kingdom. Man, of course, scriptures are clear, is the crowning achievement of our God created in his image. And the eagle is the crowning achievement of his uh, creation that flies. And so what we've got here is all of creation the best of all creation that's now flying about, moving about in this amazing scene. Everybody tracking with me? Here's the throne, somebody that's absolutely beautiful sitting on that throne, four and 20 elders surrounding the throne, a a rainbow above it that's more magnificent than anyone you've ever seen. And now here's all these creatures, the best of creation that's flying around, rooming around in the midst of it all there. Now, all of that's just the backdrop. 
We ain't gotten to the good stuff yet. Are we ready for the good stuff? Here we go. Make sure you got the scene now. You got it? It's all right there. Two immense to describe. But the best you can do is try to picture it in your minds. Then voices begin to rise up. This is where it gets good, okay? Verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whatever these creatures are, they all recognize and worship the one who's sitting on the throne. But it's not just the animals of creation that are doing that constantly. The 24 elders are doing the same thing. They recognize that there's only one that's worthy of worship, and they join that worship. In verse 9, whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. So they're no longer sitting in their own chairs surrounding. Now they're on their faces before the one. We still don't know who the one is, but there's one who's worthy of worship. And all creation and all of the leaders of mankind are there bowing before him and worshiping him. Verse 10. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. That imagery, if you can picture it for just a minute, is this idea that scriptures make it very clear as followers of Jesus Christ, our entry into heaven is not based on our works, it's based on grace. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary and we accept what he did for us and then our name gets written in the Lamb's book of life and therefore we get into heaven. But once you're there, there are levels of reward in heaven based on what we did here. It's very clear. If you've been faithful in a few things, Matthew 25 says, then you'll make ruler over many things. And, and there are several crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. There's the crown of life and, and the crown of righteousness. There's several crowns uh, that are mentioned. There's stars in those crowns. When you do these things that serve the Lord, when you bring an offering like you do today, it adds a star to the crown that you're going to receive one day as a follower of Jesus Christ in eternity. But these guys didn't see these crowns as something to be shown something to say hey everybody look at me what did they do with their crowns what did they say they took them off and laid them at the feet of Jesus why did they want their crowns to be big why did they want their crowns filled with stars because it meant that's more that I can worship him with their their goal at the end of the day is to bring glory to the one whoever that one is we want to bring him glory but there is a glimpse now did, did you pick up the glimpse of who the one is? Have you, have you, did you catch it in verse 10, 11? Did you see it? They laid their crowns before the throne and saying, you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you. What does it say? You created all things. Okay, that's a pretty good hint, wouldn't you say? You created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being you live and move and have your being because of this one who's sitting on the throne, this one that all the creatures and all the 24 elders have said is the only one worthy of our worship. Now we cross over into chapter 5 and the scene gets even more intense. It's almost like the camera's zooming in now for details. That's the setting. That's the scene. Now we get to Revelation 5.1. Then 
I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Got the picture? The right hand of him who sat on the throne to the one who sat on the throne, we at least know this is the one who created all things, right? Now there's someone to his right who has a scroll with writing on both sides and it's sealed with a perfect seal. Seven means perfect, perfect seal. I'm told the scroll contains the names of everyone who ever put their faith in Jesus Christ across all the generations, even into the Old Testament, like Abraham in Matthew in Hebrews 11, when it says it was accounted to you for righteousness because you had faith. So every name of everyone whoever put their faith in Jesus Christ, everyone who ever bowed a knee knee and proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord, their name is written on that that scroll. I'm talking about Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Joshua, and I'm talking about Deborah and Rahab and Mary and Elizabeth, and I'm talking about Billy Graham and my grandma. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about people, tens of thousands of saints of all times, Those are the names written in this book, but the book is sealed. The scroll is sealed with a perfect seal. And then John writes in verse 4, this is where it gets so powerful and so poignant. Here's what he says. I, what's the word? I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. So all those Names of all those generations that are contained in that scroll are still sealed. They can't be read. Entry into heaven can't be enjoyed. All their eternity hangs in the balance because there's nobody who can break that perfect seal. And John begins to weep at the thought of it. I have no doubt that in that moment he thought about the, the, the other disciples that he did life with for three and a half years and beyond. He thought about the Messiah that he gave his life to and, and loved so deeply. He thought about the Messiah's mother, Jesus' mother, when Jesus on the cross said, John, that's your mother from now on. Take care of her. And he took care of Mary from that day forward. John thought about all those things from his own life as well as the lives of people that he knew and loved. And their names are sealed in this book. It can't be opened until one of the elders sees what's going on with John. Verse 5 He said to John, do not weep. It's good. You ready? See the lion of the tribe of Judah? The root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven Seals. The elders saying, John, it's okay, it's okay. You don't, have, you don't have to cry, man. You don't have to cry. There is somebody who's worthy. There is somebody who conquered death, hell, and the grave. There is somebody. It's, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the root of David. And he is able to break the seal and to read the names. Don't cry, John. You don't have to cry. And I get a picture of John turned, having turned his back and the tears, and he's trying to fight the tears, and he turns around to see the lion of the tribe of Judah and find out who this one who's worthy. Verse 6, he says, then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. He turned to see this conquering lion. He saw a conquering lamb. And that lamb went to the one who sits on the throne, who created all things. And that one took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from God from every tribe and language and people and What's the word? Nation. What's the Greek word? Ethnos. From every ethnicity, you've reached them all. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. And as powerful as that moment is, it gets even grander. So you got the picture? You, you still got the picture? Do you get like this? If you're picturing this thing, you got the throne and you got the rainbow and you got the immensity and you got the elders and you got the creatures and all of them are pointing to the, to the one who sits on the throne. And then we're discovering that it's only the lamb who's worthy to open the seal and read your name and mine and grandma's name and so many other names as we began to worship him in verse 11, it gets grander. It says, and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I don't know how many mathematicians there are here, but I did the math. I was curious. I got my little calculator out on my iPhone and said 10,000 times 10,000. Looked at me, it came out to 100 million angels. Somebody said, how in the world could everybody have a guardian angel? Well, there's at least 100 million of them that, that gathered that day. Plenty of them there. And all of those voices together began to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Our musicians are coming back. Our choir's making their way. They're assembling now because we're not done yet. I want you to see the, the image. I want you to see the scene. There it is. The throne and the rainbow and all the beauty and all of the grandeur and the elders and the creatures. And now a hundred million angels have gathered and assembled. They're singing worthy is the lamb. The scene changes one more time. In verse 13, it's not on the screen. I just want you to, to picture it. Close your eyes. Picture it with me. John said, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise." and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Paul said, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, every tongue, 
we're choosing to do it now voluntarily. We're celebrating that scene every day that we live for Jesus. And I want us to simulate that scene this morning. And so the choir is gonna sing for us. Pastor Andy's gonna come and pray over us in just a moment. We're gonna stand and we're gonna bring our offerings before the Lord. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. As you bring your offerings this morning, the receptacles are here. You can place your offering in the receptacles and then, you can, then if you will, make your way, stay down in the altar because we wanna set this scene. We wanna be all around the altar this morning. I want you to come in and just move out to the sides, but stay here. You didn't bring your offering, but you wanna be there that day, come on, come on. Just be a part of this. We're gonna set that scene, bring your offering, move out a little bit so the receptacles are available for others that are coming. We even took out some extra rows. So we got plenty of room for everybody to come and gather and we're gonna simulate that scene together. Don't return to your seats when we finish. We're gonna close our service around the altar today, praying that God will bless our commitments.